Hey guys, The Absurdity is back with episode four of season two, and I'm so glad that you are listening today. I'm really excited. We have an awesome guest on the show, and I know I say that about every guest, but it's true every single time. This week is a friend of mine. His name is Garrison Hayes. I met him during our my undergrad at Southern, and we became friends, and I've just appreciated his perspective and the way that he communicates his thoughts and his experience so clearly. And you'll be able to experience a bit of that on this show today. But I want to let you know, I want to let you know that the topic that we're talking about as we deal with racism, because he's a black man and I'm a white man, that's kind of the perspective that we take. So if you are Latinx, if you're Asian, if you're Indian, Native American, whatever it is, you're listening to this and you want your perspective and experience shared too, please, please reach out to me and let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your experience as well. Now, before I let this interview play out, I do need to let you know Garrison is very raw. He's very real with what he shares, and we have a very honest dialogue. And so this podcast may not be considered safe for work in some of what we share, but I am just so thrilled to have him on and to be able to have these kinds of conversations. So I just want to give you fair warning about that. There may be some themes and some things talked about here that make you uncomfortable. That's kind of the point. We're hoping that that discomfort will move you and stir you to some action. I know it has for me. Garrison has consistently challenged my perspectives in a way that is beneficial and to help me grow. And I hope that you walk away from the episode today with some concrete changes you can make, some practical things you can do in order to make a difference toward racial reconciliation. So I'm going to go ahead and let this interview play out, guys. Enjoy my time with Garrison Hayes. Garrison, why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are, what do you do, and, and, and kind of what's your life about? Cool. Well, first of all, dude, I just want to say thank you for having me on your show, and hello to all of your listeners. Um, so yeah, like you said, my name is Garrison Hayes. I am a third-year seminarian at Andrews University, which is in southwest Michigan. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Um and yeah, I, I met Ryan uh, in undergrad where I was studying film production at the time, got this call to ministry. So now I'm doing my ministerial training and I'm excited to, to get out of school for a change. I feel like I've been in school my whole life. But after this, I'll be pastoring in the D.C. area. Oh, cool. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, thank you, Garrison, for coming on. I Your opinions, your perspectives, oftentimes when I've seen you dialogue with people have really actually impacted me very personally, and you've actually changed the way that I view uh, very certain things. And that's part of why I wanted to have you on is because I believe that your perspective is, is incredibly valuable. I think the way you communicate is really, really effective. And so, um, and, and I try to, to latch on to that and, and share that when I can. And so- Thank you, man. Uh, thank you. Today is kind of a very sensitive topic, I know, and mm. um, I've had this conversation with a lot of people, but it's rare that I actually, and this is sad, but it's rare that I get to have this conversation with someone who's personally affected by it in a negative way. Mm. Um, mm. And, and so I'm really, I'm, I'm really valuing this opportunity, and so I'm excited. But Garrison, can you just tell us, uh, what's, what's kind of the lens that you look through when you talk about racism in the church? in Christianity or in Adventism, whatever, whatever perspective you want to take there. But, but what is the lens that you look through? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, hmm, lensing, I, I think like when it comes to the lens with which I use to, or I look through when seeing this, this, this topic of race and racism and prejudice and our world today, I think that I sit in a position where I'm looking through, at minimum, uh, three lenses at all times. Um, I think there is the lens, as a black man, I look through the lens of, of that cultural context as a black person, as an African American who has grown up in the South, in America, um, 
I have a specific lens that I see these conversations through. Um, but also, I went to a predominantly white institution with you, you know, at, at Southern Adventist University. And I think that for many black people who find themselves in school or in proximity to uh, white people, there is the ability to see through the lens of those white people when it comes to this conversation as well. I mean, thinking about America and Western civilization at large, I think that we are all impacted by the lens of the dominant culture, right? Mm. So the dominant culture in our Western context in America is the white male lens. That's the way that we see life, right? We see life through the lens of white men because white men have been in uh, positions of influence for a very, very long time. Uh, so they've dominated in many ways the conversation and the lensing and the perspective. Um, and that's just a fact, whether you take that as good or bad, that is just the reality that we live in. So I can see it through that lens. Um, and third, so there's my own personal lens as a black man. There's the lens of the dominant culture. Um, and then there is the lens of the gospel and the minister, right? Like as a person who is called to uh, minister to both black people and white people and Latinx people and Asian people and, and any, any type of person as a person who's just called to spread the good news of the gospel of mm -hmm. Jesus Christ to all nations, there is a lens that, that informs my worldview one of grace and compassion. So those three lenses are constantly being interchanged for me um, when it comes to this whole race conversation. Mm. Thank you for, for being so clear on, on that question too. I, and and I, I find it, there are a lot of people that would, that would argue that our, our undergrad institution is not predominantly white because they look at the statistics and I think it was my second to last year at Southern that they they released the statistic that said that for the first time in Southern's history, uh, white people did not make up more greater than fifty percent of the student population. The problem with and and so this was touted, and I love Southern, so this is this is not a criticism to say I don't like Southern. This is, but it was touted as look at us, we're so diverse, and we don't have this majority. Well, when you still have forty eight percent of your population is one race or, or one, one right. ethnicity that's still dominant, even if it's not the statistical majority. Right. Um, and, right. and even if, if black people or Asian people or Latinx people make up 20% each, mm -hmm. they're still a minority. They're still less than. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that that was a really important point to bring up from your perspective of, of being in that, in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. Um, so let me ask you this: With those lenses in mind, and and, and with that framework, uh, what has been what has been your experience or some of your loved ones' experiences with racism? Yeah. So, like I said, like growing up in the South in the dirty, dirty, right? You know, mm -hmm. there's just this. You interact with people who are still living. Um, it's, I think the South is, I think our country at large, if we're honest, is extremely segregated today. You know, uh, at one time it was segregated by uh, the laws of the land. But, but today I think it's by choice and preference. Right. So mm -hmm. people are kind of uh, and then there's also the aspect of segregation that are, that's happening because of things like redlining. But but growing up in Atlanta, I encountered racist individuals um, all throughout my childhood and adolescence and even into my teen years. There are so many different factors, I think, and so many different like iterations of racism that you that as a as a minority person you kind of come in contact with. There's the overt racism where an individual is calling you the N-word or calling you out of your name or treating you um, in a way that is overtly prejudiced, right? Then there's the more covert racism um, that maybe um, manifests itself through implicit biases or um, ways that you're not sure why you're being treated one way and another person's being treated a different way. 
So that happens. I mean, even today, I, I was down in Atlanta over the summer and traveling through a rural part of Georgia. I stopped at the gas station and I went inside to pay with cash and the cashier would not take the money out of my hand. They, they made me put it down on the counter. Wow. And while I think it's easy for someone to say, well, maybe they just didn't want to touch the money. They, maybe they just didn't want to. You know, I think that there is this sense of there's this like spidey sense that I think you kind of develop when someone is giving you a specific look and treating you in a specific way. You start to say, oh, I think I know what's going on here. And that was definitely one of those situations. But some of my family members have experienced racism um, in the church in ways that have actually uh, led them to leave the church. For instance, my father um, was heading to a church-sponsored uh, global event, and he was traveling with some other Adventist people. This is back in the mid-70s. So while they're heading overseas to this, this global event, um, my father was put in the back of every single thing that they trans that they were trans wow. like that they were they were riding on right whether it was the plane the buses um every bit of transportation adventist people people who he considered to be his brothers and sisters in Christ were the ones who were sending him to the back of the bus and mm-hmm. saying that he could not sit amongst those white people so that that happened and it actually led him to leave the church for some time. Um, I think even there was a there's a time when during undergrad, uh, some friends, my, myself and a few of our friends, we were sitting around and we realized that every single year there seems to be one hall in our dormitory where it's predominantly black. Like mm. there seems to be this one hall where all of the black students are sent to live there. And while individuals can kind of question whether or not that's racism, I think it, it just speaks to those, those ideas in our minds that, that maybe the powers that be, like those people have, have received certain messages and internalized those messages that it might be better if people are segregated or if they are with their own types, right? Um, which, is, which is incredibly disappointing. And even up here in Michigan, um, a few uh, I've been here since 2015. So this was this was February of 2016. I had I got into a car accident up here. It snows like crazy in Michigan. And as a southern boy, I don't know what I'm doing in the snow. So um, I was driving and and slid into a, a curb that ended up like breaking like the driver's side front driver's side wheel and the control arm was bent all out of shape and I ended up having to get my car towed um, to a mechanic local mechanic here in southwest Michigan so I called them and I asked them you know should I bring it they said yeah we can fix it so I bring the car I get it towed there and they tell me where to place it and the next day this was really late at night the next day I come in and I, I just check to see like hey what's the timeline looking like have you guys gotten an estimate together? Uh, so I go in and I'm standing there and the, the gentlemen, two of them who are mechanics there, they, they look at me and they're two white guys and they look at me and we make eye contact. I wave like, hey, uh, trying to get their attention. And they turn their backs to me. They just turn their backs to me and continue doing what they're doing. So I'm thinking to myself, like, man, maybe they didn't see me. So I call out, like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, I'm here. And they look at me and they turn their backs to me again. Like, I'm thinking to myself, like, what's going on? Then another gentleman comes in uh, who happened to be white. And this guy comes in and they see him. They come over, shake his hand. How you doing? Introduce themselves. Wow. Have this conversation about what he needs. um, Get him all squared away. So this, this is all happening literally right next to me. So I, so I, so once they're done, you know, I'm waiting and, and there's this, this sinking feeling that you feel that like, did I do something wrong? Wow. Uh, like, is there something wrong with me? Like maybe I, did I give them a bad look? Did, did I, what, what, what did I communicate that made this interaction go wrong from the beginning? So once 
the mechanics and this guy who just came in finished their interaction, which was, I mean, they were fast friends. It was, it was incredible. Well, once they're done, um, I see my opportunity. So I kind of like, Hey, excuse me. Um, my car is the one out there in the parking lot. I I called you guys, um, about, you know, bringing it in and the tone, the, the disposition, the attitude completely changes Mm -hmm. as, he engages me, no handshake, very little eye contact, body language is, is just different. He tells me that he will have my car ready for me tomorrow. Uh, he'll let me know, you know, he'll, he'll have an estimate rather for me tomorrow. So I decide that, hey, I'm not going to come back tomorrow. I'll come back the day after. Um, so I come back the next day and nothing. I get the same treatment wow. where they're not engaging me. Um, and I finally get their attention. And he says, well, we'll have an estimate for you by the end of the week. So I and the week happens. I get no call. I come back on Monday and uh, I get the same exact thing. I'm not making this up. I get the same thing. We'll have it by the end of the week. By this time, I'm so frustrated because like, I don't have a vehicle. One, I'm borrowing the cars of my friends and I'm getting rides and it's just inconvenient. Um, well, finally, I come back several days later and I'm frustrated and I come to find out that my car has been hit in the back. Now, this is a crazy story. My car has been hit in the back and moved like to the side and and there's this huge dent in my trunk. So I'm like, what's going on? I go inside, I get the mechanic, I point out this this issue and he's like, oh, well, I thought it was like that when you brought it. It wasn't. I ended up having to get a police report filed. And when I think the thing that really like, really, really like just was so crazy to me and something that's really stuck inside of me was the way that. The man interacted with me. And then when the police officer came to file the police report, the way he interacted with the police officer, it was this it was this incredibly deceptive, um, endearing kind of attitude that he took with the police officer that made them fast friends. And and it was just it was just a really, really bad situation. Um, I ended up getting a call from him after the police report is filed saying that, oh, by the way, it'll cost two thousand nine hundred and X, Y, Z dollars to fix your car. Um, I priced it out with other people and it would have only cost me four hundred dollars to get the car fixed um, at other mechanics. So it was just this entire it was just awful situation, awful, awful, awful situation. And I was kind of kind of a long story. But I think that is the way that um, a lot of people encounter racial prejudice today. There's There's this feeling that you get when you know what you're encountering. And even though they're not calling you, say, a nigger, or they're not saying these words that are... Um, overtly prejudiced and racist and the things that we think of when we think of racist, the way that you're being treated is almost worse, right? It's almost just as bad, if not worse, um, because it's just all there happening um, covertly in in many ways. So yeah, those are some of my experiences. I know that's probably a lot in one. But, but even thinking about that wow. question, you know, I think a lot of people, something that I've encountered, and this might be a little bit tangential, but even thinking about the question of like, what are some things that you've encountered? Like, where, when, have, when has racism happened to you? I think that that is such a tricky question for a lot of people um, because oftentimes, the times when I've been asked that, well, give an account of when you've encountered racism, right? That's what someone says. to yeah. me. The times when I've been asked that, often it's from people who are already seeking to delegitimize the the fact that racism exists, right? They're coming from a position that they're already trying to prove that your experience wasn't the real experience. What you perceive that experience to be wasn't actually how it was. So then you're asked to now tell your story of abuse to an individual who is standing in a place of doubt already, where they already want to uh, invalidate what you're saying. Um, so that is such a tricky question. And, and I, I find myself stumbling when I've, when I've been asked that. Thankfully, you gave me some time to kind of think about it um, and, and answer you know, from some, some of my experiences and experiences of family members. But I'll see people ask that online all the time. Facebook is crazy. I'll see people on Facebook mm. all the time saying, 
well, when have you experienced racism? And I think it's important to understand that those experiences are so traumatizing and it it places you in this position of self-doubt more often than not, where you're like, is something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? And and I think that society oftentimes will, will lead you to want to take the blame onto yourself rather than calling things out for what they really, really are. Man, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing that with me and for being so raw about it. And I agree. I think... I think a lot of times people come from the perspective of listening to respond and not trying to listen to understand. And mm-hmm. in other words, they don't care what you're about to say. They already have their counterpoints ready regardless mm-hmm. of what you say. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they don't realize, like, I, this is why I love a podcast. This is why I love the audio portion mm-hmm. of this. The fact that the fact that you spoke in the way you did when sharing this story, uh, you can hear the actual passion in your voice as you talk about this and the fact that if I had let you and it, it, you know, if, if, if we had the mm-hmm. time, like you could go on and on and on about this because it's something that's so real to you. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes Facebook takes away that, that reality, that, that realness and that rawness from the, from the conversation. And so well said it's, it's, and the only way to express passion or emphasis is like through caps lock. And, and that's always taken <laughs> right. as anger instead of emphasis, right? right? Like, and so it's a lot harder. And so we actually have to be really intentional, I think, about slowing down and listening to understand mm-hmm. instead of listening to respond. That's you fantastic. Know, I, um, I, the way that I, I preach this to my church, and actually I did an episode on this, uh, I think it's the second episode I ever did, I talked about two different types of racism. I talked about explicit hatred, which is the N-word, and, and explicitly hating you, what we saw in Charlottesville would be another example. And then the other is the implicit expectations on another's life. And I think that's the kind of prejudice that a, that a lot of well-meaning or well-intentioned white people are, are, are facing is the, the implicit expectations that they don't know, they, they may not even realize they have. They may not even realize they're, they're, they're operating under. And yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, and so they hear the word racism and they're like, well, I'm not a racist. I don't hate you. Not realizing that racism is more than the explicit hatred, but it's also the implicit biases that one carries with them. And right. that's that's the racism, I think, that we're trying to. I mean, we're attacking both, obviously. But when talking mm-hmm. about the system itself, I think we're dealing more with the and oftentimes the implicit biases more so than anything else. Yeah. I, what yeah. do you thought? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What do you... Yeah, I, I, com- I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think it's, it's very well said. Um, I think I, I've actually been hesitant today, you know, in, in these times, I've been much more hesitant to use the word racism or racist, mm. because we have so much racism in America with no racist at all, right? There, no one's a racist today. Yeah. Right? No one believes themselves to be a racist. Yep. But there's so much racism happening. And I think that what, ha- what I've been transitioning into and using much more often um, are the words white supremacy. Because I don't think that people have heard that word as much. They're not as, as desensitized to the idea that white supremacy, I think if you can, for instance, uh, well, I mean, hmm, I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. White okay. supremacy has per has invaded and become so pervasive in our society that it's hard to uh, to really quantify it or or even to place a quality on it. Mm-hmm. I think we have to get to a place where we understand that the very foundations of Western society, the very foundations of America is white supremacy, right? Like, like in coming to this country and disregarding the n- native people and the boundaries that research has discovered and and confirmed that that natives actually had their own territories outlined between mm. different tribal groups but for now history to say that these were people who did not have a society of their own is white supremacy to say that our society and the way that we do things is superior to other society and the way they do things is white supremacy. So, so from the very foundations of our, of our 
the country and, and this place, white supremacy has been just so prevalent in every thought and our implicit biases in 2017 are almost entirely based off of that. I was having a conversation with a friend who was, who was telling me, um, we were having a conversation about implicit bias and, and how we feel around certain people. And he asked me, he was like, so you mean to tell me, Garrison, be honest, be honest. You mean to tell me when, and he's, he was a, he's a white guy. He's like, when, when you're walking down the streets of Atlanta or Chicago and you see somebody in a hoodie walking down the street behind you, you don't get nervous. And, you know, I have, I have to admit that, like, I understand where he is coming from in that society has placed us in a position, media or whatever it is that you want to blame, I blame white supremacy, has placed us in a position where we see that image and immediately, immediately we freak out, right? But what I don't think is talked about enough is that when I'm in Crossville, Tennessee, and I see a guy pull into the gas station where I'm pumping my gas and he has huge wheels on his big truck and a big Confederate flag on the back of that truck. I don't think that we talk enough about the fact that my heart is shaking and pitter-pattering and I'm nervous because I don't know what this guy is capable of doing. And white supremacy will call us to believe that he is more safe than the black guy in the hoodie. And the reality is that either of them can be just as dangerous or just as innocent. But oftentimes, white supremacy leads us to give whiteness the benefit of the doubt while criminalizing blackness. Mm. Um, and so, so I say all that to say, I'm hesitant to use the word racist because that thought is in and of itself racism, right? Like racism will cause, cause you to believe that a black person in a hoodie is implicitly dangerous. Um, racism is at work there and maybe less at work in other places, but no one wants to be called a racist. And the reality is that white supremacy is, is kind of like that. It's the same idea, but it's said in a way that I think people can digest a little bit. It makes them think a little bit more. Is that that su- whiteness has been made supreme or given much more uh, benefit of the doubt or given um, much more grace than, than other cultures. Well, and, and it's just kind of a, you know, I look at my own life and it just seems like like white supremacy is, is a standard of living. Like it, it just mm-hmm. is like it. Mm-hmm. I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've been the minority in the room mm-hmm. as a white guy. And yet for you, it's it's probably close to the opposite where 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 you can more easily count the number of times you've been the majority in a room and and, and it's just this standard of living that if i had not sat down and intentionally thought about that part of my life i would have never realized it i would have never said like oh maybe the way that i've been living my life and maybe the standard of living that i have uh, have I actually sat down and critically analyzed it to say, is this appropriate? And it's not that I've bought into it thinking that it wasn't and, and with this with this attitude of, of everyone else is terrible. It's just, hey, look, if this is the culture I was raised in, going to predominantly white schools, being taught that the other side of the train tracks is where the dangerous mm-hmm. people are and realizing that, well, there's only one or two colors on that side of the train tracks that it's being portrayed i watch movies and honestly when i look at a gang in a movie or in a you know it's there's a token white guy (laughs) but predominantly it's mostly blacks hispanics and asians that are that are uh that are shown there because that that is this it's this image that over years and years and years gets ingrained into your mind and so you're just all of that adds into those implicit biases that you don't even you may not even mean to to act on and and mm. for me it's 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 difficult because i don't know when i'm going to come up against those implicit biases i don't know when they're going to happen um and so i have to always be vigilant to say okay did i act in this way or 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 i have to look at myself which is the hard thing and say how how can i how can I be a part of changing this culture and making it fair across the board or, mm-hmm. or, or giving more equality and equity across the board? Yeah, that's good. It's great. Um, great. 
let me ask you let me ask you this what do you think so we've talked about using the word racism a bit um but what what do you what do you think are maybe is another issue that you think um another issue with the way that we currently approach the topic of race whether in the church or just in general um what do you think what do you think is another issue that that we may that you can call attention to yeah. i think that our churches have kind of become um reflectors of our society at large in very many ways. Um, so what you see in society, unfortunately, you do see that in the church. Um, like, as you know, and I'm sure some of your listeners know, but maybe not all of your listeners know, like I am a Seventh-day Adventist, right? We are Seventh-day Adventists. Mm -hmm. And our church came into existence um, during the same time that slavery was being fought for, against, and abolished, right? Our, those histories yeah. are, they coincide. Um, so I think that what we have seen happen in the history of our church has almost uh, year for year mirrored what we have seen in our country, right, as Americans. Mm. And when, when segregation becomes, you know, moves to its peak and becomes much more, uh, fervently sought after, we also see segregation happening in our church. When America is eating at separate tables in the government, we also see um, our Adventist leaders eating at separate tables in their cafeteria at the GC. You know, we see these things happening. Um, and and I think so. So I think that one of the issues in America, and and you can apply this to the church as well. One of the issues with talking about race and the way that we talk about race is truly we don't we, we we don't talk about it we don't talk we don't speak honestly about it we speak about it in platitude and in these broad terms of we all should just come together and 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 you know we all just need to 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 to, to be on the same of same accord and, and work towards the gospel mission. And, you know, we use these kind of like these really happy Valley terms. Um, but rarely we, we want the results, but we really don't want to go through the difficult process um, necessary to get there. And a lot of my thinking on this is informed by um, Brian Stevenson, who is an advocate for social justice and an intellectual voice on race and, and other issues in America and, and globally. But one of the things that Brian Stevenson says, uh, he talks a lot about how in Germany, you can't go uh, 20, 30 meters or however far, you can't walk that far without seeing a Holocaust memorial site. If you're in any major city, in Germany, you're going to run into a memorial site for some victim of the Holocaust. He talks about how Germany has completely embraced the idea and the reality that there was a time in their history where they did egregious things against people who did not deserve it. Mm. And then they recognize that those things are still significant today. So instead of trying to run away from their history, they've completely leaned into their history as a way to combat that ever happening again. And he applies that to America. And I think we see a complete opposite, to be honest, right? We, we see that people are often found saying, why is it that we're still talking about racism or slavery or segregation or Jim Crow? Why do we still talk about these things? Well, I think the reason why we don't want to talk about it is because there is a guilt that is naturally associated with talking about those things. Hmm. But as soon as America embraces it, if we lean into that history and say, hey, by leaning in, we're going to learn from this and we will never, we stand in complete opposition to all that this stood for. We want to stand completely against that and acknowledge that history. And because we're acknowledging that history, then the healing can begin from there. And I think that we need to do that as well in the church. And I'm so thankful for voices uh, in our church who are actively, people who are actively working towards that ra racial reconciliation 
and truly fleshing out that history. Uh, Dr. John Nixon, Michael Nixon, uh, Jamie Kalasar, to name a few, are people in our church who have leaned into that history and are Ty Gibson, who leaned into that history and have tried to say, hey, how can we work our way through this racial reconciliation by acknowledging that there is a wound that needs to be healed, that needs to be treated. Um, but it first starts with acknowledge, acknowledgement. So I think that that's the, that is the, the greatest sin, I think, of our, of our country and our church as it relates to this topic. We aren't talking about it honestly, and we're not embracing the fact that it happened and that in many ways, the vestiges, is, the vestiges of it are still uh, apparent and, and prevalent. Mm. Man, I, man, uh, I, I was going to ask a follow up question and you ended up answering it, which is what do you think part of that process of reconciling and the hard work is? And, and you answered it, I think, leaning into that history and acknowledging that, yeah, we didn't do things correctly and we're still on that path to doing things correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of white people in general have assumed that because because we passed civil rights laws and because we've done all this and we've abolished slavery, then we're we're already at Z. You know, we were at mm-hmm. A and now we're at Z. No, we're probably somewhere closer to like J, <laughs> and we still need to get to Z. If and and maybe that's that's even too gracious. Maybe we're further back than I than than even that. But we've got to take these steps to get there. And I and assuming that we're already there because we've we've passed a few laws and we've made things a little bit more public and official doesn't necessarily change hearts. Official right. things don't change hearts very often, I've noticed. But but can I ask you this? This isn't necessarily in our interview, Doc. But this is this is just a personal question I have, because when I when I talk about and and this is this is something I I've heard from a lot of white people in general too. But when I talk about using my voice to work towards racial reconciliation or when I talk about trying to be a part of this, there's a couple things that get I get accused of, um, whether it's to my face or otherwise. It's, well, he's virtue signaling or it's there's so many things implicitly that are that are racist that I might do that it almost feels that I'm walking on eggshells to avoid offending someone. it's like, oh, I, I never know when a word is going to offend someone or I never know when a, a behavior is going to offend someone. And so a lot of people will either feel like they're walking on eggshells and be so safe and so so try to be so gracious that they end up missing the mark because now they're being prejudiced by assuming the worst. Mm-hmm. And then you take the other way, which is, well, if I, I'd rather just walk confidently and be done with it and not worry about it. And if I offend someone, then so be it. They'll have to deal with it and they'll need to get a tough skin. My thing is like, as a white person, I don't know how to walk that line of being self-critical, but being able to to be a part of racial reconciliation without everyone assuming the worst of me. Um, and I, I don't know how to how to be a better part of that conversation. So maybe I don't know if you can speak to that kind of that insecurity, because it's what it is. Ultimately, it's insecurity and uncertainty. Um, I don't know if there's something that you can speak to that um, with or, or or some advice you can give to, to people who may feel that way. How do we better navigate this? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I appreciate the question. I appreciate that you're you're working through that. And I think you're really speaking to the heart of very many people who uh, white people, well-meaning white people uh, who want to be um, allies in this conversation. I think that that, that is a, a, something that I've encountered, that question I've encountered often. And one of the things that really immediately comes to mind as it relates to the disposition that um, one should take is that of a learner, right? Like taking the position of a learner and another thing that you can do that you are doing right now is leveraging one's platform for the voices and stories of those who are marginalized or those who do not have access to speak to um, those same masses or those same people. Um, I think that if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're describing is is how do I speak on these issues, remain humble as a learner? Am I getting that from you? I really want to be clear on your question. 
Yeah, it's it's how can I how can I live my life in a way that is that is an authentic ally to this movement uh-huh. uh, without without feeling like everything I do is going to be scrutinized without uh-huh. feeling like without feeling like every single word I say I have to I have to think through for days before I say it and and I never know if I'm going to offend someone. How do I walk that line and how do I be an effective and authentic ally? Um, in, in how do I navigate that? Yeah. I think that really, I, okay, well, one of the things that you can certainly do is to find someone who is willing to go on that journey with you, um, a minority person, whether that, whether that is a Latinx person. And I do, I did want to say that a lot of what we've been talking about in this conversation has been black-white uh, yeah. relations, right? And, but there is a whole nother side to the conversation as it relates to those who are of Asian or Latino or um, any other descent, right? Any other ethnic minority descent who find themselves in America or, or in a Western context. I think those people um, also have issues that are specific. And I can speak to some of those, but not all of those. And I would hope that the listeners... Um, if there are any Latinx listeners or Asian listeners, do not feel as though I am trying to oversimplify or to exclude them from the conversation. So I did want to say that here as it comes to my mind. Um, but I think that as it relates to, you know, you as a white male trying to be an ally and use your voice, but really trying to figure out how to do that best. I think finding people who are willing to journey with you on that to go with you on that journey is incredibly important but i also think um that one thing that is 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 out there is is information we live in a time where there is so much information online there are so many great writers and and thought leaders who have published information and made videos and made films that will help give you a lexicon with which to use. I think, I think that a lot of the issues that I've encountered from my well-meaning white friends is oftentimes they just don't know what to say or how to say it. But the more familiar you are with the lexicon, the more that you familiarize yourself with the, with the lingo, right? I think that that gives you access to a certain way of thinking and a certain way of of, of communicating with grace and, and with consideration. Um, I think the journey does not end. So, white supremacy, to come back to this idea of white supremacy, white supremacy would call you to only see white things or to see things from that white perspective. And the more you immerse yourself in the perspectives and, the, and take on the lenses of others and, and grow in empathy, I think the better you will be equipped to navigate these things well. But you also have to recognize that in many ways to be an ally, to fight against um, white supremacy as a white person, you will be treated as a traitor. And, and that's something that I think that needs to be understood, considered, and embraced. Whether people know it or not, we were just talking about these implicit biases, these things that are inside of us that we don't even know are inside of us. Many people are actually fighting for white supremacy and they don't even know it. They, don't, they have no idea that they are, they are soldiers in the army of white supremacy. They have no idea. And you, as a voice against that, right, they will combat you because they feel as though you are challenging something that they don't even know that they're fighting. They don't even know they're fighting it, which is the craziest thing. But now you are, you are using your voice saying, Hey, no, no, that's just not right. This is just wrong. Or have you thought about it this way? And boom, those biases begin to surface and, and they take up their sword and they put on their, their helmet and they have their shield and they're ready to go to battle. And they don't even know what they're fighting for or really fighting against. So I think that that's an, another reality. You know, I, I heard you say the whole thing about virtue signaling and people essentially trying to diminish what you are saying. Um, and I think that that's something that, that, that many individuals who, who find themselves um, being advocates and voices for others 
uh, will encounter. And we see that happening in the life of Jesus Christ um, yeah. as he is advocating for other people, um, the individuals that he is, he is combating often are, are seeking ways to destroy him. And I think about uh, whether it's the woman at the well or the woman caught in the act, right? Uh, the people that he, he, by advocating for her, for her, he becomes enemies with those who accuse her. And I just think that is the reality of being an advocate. Um, yeah. Thank you for that frankness, too, because I think I think that needs to be said. Um, I, I think a lot of times I've been so focused on trying to win everybody over that I'm too afraid to have enemies. And I think um, I think sometimes there will there are just going to be naysayers <laughs> and you've got to press forward and live by example to say that's not OK. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that perspective. I You know, I. And I want to give you an example, too, of yeah. one of the ways that I've seen this happen. Um, and it's 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 a frustration that happens. So a, while, a little while back, just before I asked you to be on the podcast, someone posted a status, a friend of ours, uh, that talked about on Facebook, talked about regional conferences and they shouldn't exist. And I think you remember this now that I've yeah. said that. And for, yeah. for listeners that don't, under, that don't know this, the Adventist church um, in our structure – um, we we have our local church level, and then above that you have what's typically a state or, or a state conference. It's typically devoted by state, but it varies throughout the country. So you've got like all of the churches in Florida are under the authority of the Florida conference, and and, and that's kind of a, a general painting. But then during times of segregation and during times where we wanted to be a little bit more intentional about reaching minority groups, there was started the regional conferences. Um, that are that are pretty widely referred to now as black conferences and the normal and and the and the state conferences as white conferences. So that's painting with a very broad brush. It's far more complicated than that. But um, that's just for listeners who don't understand or don't know what that is. Um, but I remember in this discussion, someone had pointed out, like, I'm all for getting rid of regional conferences for uniting us in race. And these people considered themselves allies toward racial reconciliation because they're saying, look, we don't need this segregation in our church. And, and you came, you came into this conversation in the, like, I love the way you did it. So this is not a criticism on you. Please, please like know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But you pointed out, you said, hold on, there may be racial biases, even in the way you're trying to be my ally here mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. assuming which one is the conference that should merge. Who are the people that should lose their jobs in the merge? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that need to give up what they're doing and the roles that they play for the good of, or the unity of the church by assuming a lot of this, even in your attempt to be an ally, you're still ending up, um, give or, or, or playing into white supremacy mm-hmm. and when i read that you you flipped just by me reading that conversation you flipped the way that i view it mm-hmm. uh, almost entirely which i appreciate mm-hmm. but there's also this this little frustration that comes up because it's like man i don't even know how to be an ally like every time i try i'm still wrong <laughs> and then, you know what i mean like and, and so there's this frustration of, of white people and so i really love what you've said to say find someone who's willing to go on the journey with you mm-hmm. and approach it as a one who's always learning Take the stands that you're going to take and always be willing to say, hey, maybe how can I take this differently and how can I do this more effectively and, and, and being on that journey. So I, I just I want to I appreciate that from you, uh, that input and that advice. I think that's so valuable and so needed. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, all right. So let me let me ask you this then. Um, what do you think? Um what do you, how how can someone who may not care or may not understand or whatever they may think they understand they don't whatever it is but they 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 technically have some ambivalence or even some anger or frustration towards this kind of topic and the topic of prejudice how how can everyone approach this topic better and in a more respectful way whether it's on facebook youtube reddit church, whatever, how can we in general, from all angles, from all seats at the table, how can we approach it in a more respectful way? Um, yeah, yeah. Step one, get off of Facebook, Reddit, and YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, no, like legitimately, that's probably the real, like that's probably the best advice that I can give you. But um, I also recognize that um, we are all addicted to those things at this point, and they are a part of us in ways that we probably cannot ever go back from. Um, but I, I do think that 
one of the, the best ways, if you are in a uh, position of ambivalence or um, you are indifferent to this topic, maybe even angered by it, I completely understand why. Um, I completely understand why. There are many voices seeking to co-opt the conversation in ways that benefit them uh, politically and financially, um, that give them platform. And I think that that is a, a sad reality in a, in a capitalistic society, right? Um, but I do still believe that there are plenty of individuals out there who are writing, commentating, and living out um, exactly what you need to see. I believe that there are films that you can watch that will sensitize you to certain issues. I would challenge anyone who maybe sits on, I think I have uh, articulated my position in this um, fairly clearly, and I think that, that anyone who's listening to this podcast knows where maybe I stand on this issue, right? Um, I think I would challenge anyone who finds themselves standing opposite to where I stand or maybe in a position that like, I just don't get it, right? Which is, which is quite all right. Uh, I want to say to that person that it's okay um, that you are there and I would invite you to engage me on social media if you like. Or um, I would invite you to, to uh, watch or read or listen to the audiobook for... Um, Different, different films. I think one film that recently came out that I think will uh, place things in, in a different light for someone who may be in that position um, is a film called I Am Not Your Negro. I Am Not Your Negro. Um, it is a story about, um, about James Baldwin. It's a documentary about one of the last things that James Baldwin wrote before he died, and it chronicles the last few um, years of lives of Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and Medgar Evers, um, three black men who were uh, assassinated for being voices against the social injustices during the civil rights era. And it just puts into perspective things that were happening then, and then it compares, contrasts, and juxtaposes those events and sentiments with many of the events and sentiments that we find today in 2017 and 2016, 15, 14, 13, and 12. And I think you will find that the reason why the conversation really hasn't changed very much from the minority perspective, from a black perspective, is because many of the events that were happening then and the way that those events were carried out um, by our government officials and, and by the media and police officers, many of those events actually mirror the way that events are kind of playing out today. Mm. So I would challenge someone who maybe finds themselves in a position where they're saying, hey, I want to move from ignorance to insight, um, or I want to move from um, maybe where I am opposed to these things to just understanding a little bit more. Um, I would challenge you to watch that film. There is, there is a book. I'll, I'll suggest a book. Um, it's a book by um, Tana Hesse Coates. C-O-A-T-E-S. It's called Between the World and Me. It's one of my favorite books about uh, this guy, this black gentleman who uh, is getting to know himself as a black person, kind of a coming of age telling of his own story and how he kind of came to in America and the, and the events that kind of um, brought him to, to that adulthood and, and kind of causes him to, to wake up in a way. I think that that you would enjoy that book and you would gain so much insight from his stories. And finally, there is if you're if you're wanting something a little bit more gritty, there is a book uh, called Tears We Cannot Stop by Michael Eric Dyson, Michael Eric Dyson, Tears We Cannot Stop. 
this book is actually written as a sermon to white America. Um, hmm. and, and Michael uh, goes through Dr. Dyson. He, he walks through the invocation and the intercessory prayer. There is a, a sermon portion and a praise break. And there's the, the praise and worship section. And, and it, it's great. He walks through it. And if you are at all interested in moving from a lens, uh, and I'm assuming that I'm right now I'm talking to a person who maybe is seeing through um, the lens of the dominant culture, a white lens. If you're interested in, in maybe seeing things through a minority culture or black lens, I would encourage you to check that book out. I think it would really give you so much insight. And I'll admit, he is very raw and very direct and at times maybe even a little offensive. But I think that he does it all intentionally and he resolves it so well with so much practical application, which is the question that I think I encounter the most is how can I actually get involved? How can I make a difference? I see that there are maybe social inequalities or even some civil inequalities. How can I make a difference? And at the end of that book, he gives some great uh, practical ways to get involved. So those are, are some ways that you can kind of maybe get more involved in the conversation and, and kind of change your perspective on the conversation. And I think it's just through, through education, whether it is engaging an individual who's willing to dialogue with you, which is the first thing I said, hit me up. Uh, or if it's checking out one of those, uh, the film, um, I Am Not Your Negro, the book Between the World and Me, or the other book, Tears We Cannot Stop. I just encourage you to, 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 to use one of those methods. Well, thank you for that. I think, you know, I love that you provided that list. In fact, I'm going to make sure I throw all of those suggestions into the description of this episode. Yes. I'm going to hopefully see if I can find the links to them on like Amazon or something, though those may expire over time. Fantastic. But definitely I'll include those links so you can just go find them uh, in the description of this episode. And uh, that way we can just we can expedite that process. If the one thing stopping you is that you can't you don't want to Google and find them and re-listen to the episode a million times to get all the names. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Just, just look at the episode description, whether it's on iTunes or on our actual website, you can you'll be able to find it. Love it. Um, that way. Yeah, we can just make those available. And I think I think what you've said, if I had to sum it up, is is treat yourself as a learner, which is something you've already said in the podcast, but no matter what stage you're at in understanding these issues, whether you think you're an expert and you know it, or whether you think you don't know it at all and you're wondering what in the world do I do or where do I start, just assume, regardless of where your starting place is, just assume that you have more to learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think if we could just assume that we have more to learn wherever we are in the matter, that is, a, I think that that's basically what you've said by even providing those resources. Um, is to say, yeah, learn more. <laughs> the yeah. best thing you can do is continue learning. Yeah. And so I, I really, I really appreciate that. I appreciate your voice. I think, um, I love too, um, this, and you, I think you saw, I threw this in the doc just before the episode started just yesterday, um, which was the 18th of September, Daryl Davis, a black musician who's known for having befriended many different white supremacists and members of the KKK leading them to actually denounce the KKK and leave as a result of his friendship with them. He did an ask me anything on Reddit. Basically mm. just anyone can ask you anything you want. And he comments and, and responds. Mm. And one of the things he said in a step-by-step -step comment for how to engage in these conversations, um, he said, and I'm going to quote his comment directly. He says, very important. Listen to that person. What is his or her primary concern? Place yourself in their shoes. And what would you do to address their concern if it were you? Ask questions, but keep calm in the face of their loud, boisterous posture if that is on display. Don't combat it with the same. Mm. And then he says this, and I love this little nugget, this, this statement right here. Mm. While you are actively learning about someone else, realize that you are passively teaching them about yourself. Mm. And I love this from Daryl because what he what he's saying is is all of these white supremacists had a a misunderstanding of who I was, mm -hmm. and by me actively learning about them, they were they were passively learning about who I am, mm -hmm. and I was undoing those those misunderstandings mm -hmm. and those misconceptions about who I was. Mm -hmm. And I I just 
I love that attitude yeah. too of coming to listen. Um, I wish we could see the anger that's sometimes portrayed on social media and the frustration that's that's expressed on social media. I wish we could see that as evidence of a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, as evidence of a greater problem and not just a character flaw in someone else. Mm-hmm. Because you get angry about what you're passionate about. You get loud about what you're passionate about. And I think if you have a passion for it, there's probably a reason. Mm-hmm. And I wish we could see some of those outbursts. People say, well, they're disrespectful. And you know, if they want to have this conversation, then they need to be respectful about it. Well, maybe they've tried that and they've gotten so frustrated that they just can't anymore. And they're speaking from emotion because that's all they have left. Mm-hmm. I wish we could just just take a step back and listen a little bit more um, from all angles. And so I just, I appreciate that so much more from you, um, from the way that you've, you've even in this conversation changed kind of the way that I want to approach this topic a bit. And yeah, we've talked about it from a black and white perspective because that's who we are, you and I. Um, I look forward to the day. And if there are listeners who feel that we could, we could tackle this from different perspectives, whether you're Latinx or whether you're Asian or Indian or, Pacific Islander, whatever it might be, um, contact me because I want to hear your perspective and your experience too. Um, I'd love to have you on the show with us, uh, you know, to, to talk about these kind of things. Um, but just let me know. And, uh, but Garrison, thank you so much for your, your answers to some of these questions. Thank you for being raw with me on this. I, this is not an easy conversation. I don't think Mm -hmm. it ever is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I really value your, your willingness to be honest with me on this. Yeah, man. Seriously. Thank you for having me on and and giving me uh, the opportunities to speak to your, to your listeners. And I appreciate everyone who listened all the way through. Yep. Um, do you, Garrison, do you have any final thoughts, anything that you want to leave listeners with? Yeah. Um, Hmm. Man, I just want to say that, you know, I think that we are living in a time where people are so incredibly polarized um, that um, that it, it almost feels as though we will never find a solution, right? That we will never come together. Um, but I have had experiences lately um, that have given me hope in a way that 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 really just spurs me on to do things like this conversation right now, to be on this podcast and to have this conversation and to preach the gospel. And I think that is really, as a Christian, um, I have to sit in a place of optimism for salvation and change, right? Like I sit there because there's a God who believed in me enough to take action and to keep on with me and to keep pressing with me for long enough uh, that he's wanting to see me change. And I think that we can also take that position with our fellow mankind. Um, I've seen that happen it, with friends and I've seen that happen with family members. And I've even seen that happen here in an institution where an institution was confronted. My school, Andrews University, was confronted with the complaint that, hey, we are seeing Things happen at this school that are not right and we need for there to be change. And the university took it upon themselves to actually affect that change. They hired a VP level position um, for diversity and inclusion because a group of students leveraged their story and their voice to the powers that be and change actually happened. And I just want to encourage anyone listening um, that by leveraging your, your, your story, your voice, and your passion, um, and, and really sending that message to those in power, I think that we can actually affect change and we can see a better tomorrow, a more Christ-like church, a, more, um, a world that, is, that has less injustice in it. I really believe that. I believe that, that we are put here on this earth to fight for that. Um, so yeah, so those are my thoughts and I'm really thankful for the opportunity to, to be on here and to talk with you, Ryan. Yeah, man, I love it. Um, and so, um, I, I love you, man. I love your story, your journey. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, how, how can listeners engage with you and follow up with you if they want to, what are, what are the ways they should find you? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Uh Oh, (laughs) uh, just search, (laughs) search Garrison Hayes. I'm a mutual friend with Ryan. So if you're friends with Ryan, you can find me, but Garrison Hayes, my face is on there. Um, Twitter Garrison underscore Hayes, not that complicated. 
right there. Look at you. <laughs> and on Instagram, which I'm really trying to be more active on Instagram. It's hard for me, but I'm trying. Uh, That's how Twitter is for me. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is, I'm like active in the comment section, but I'm not posting a whole lot, but I, mm. I, I might start. I don't know. Anyway, but you can find me on Twitter, Garrison underscore Hayes. And you can find me on Instagram at Garrison H. G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N-H. Awesome. Well, Garrison, again, thank you for being on here. I hope you have a fantastic day, man. And I'm so excited to have your story just shared um, because I, I believe there's so much value in a person's story. So thank you so much for sharing yours and being on the cast. Thanks so much, Ryan. Wow. I just listened to that interview again and again, and it just blows my mind some of the depth that Garrison shares. And I just thank you so much for listening. And I hope you do reach out and connect to him if you have more questions. I just want to let you know The Absurdity Now has a Twitter account. It is at Absurdity underscore cast. So you can go and follow that. I'm going to try and be active on that, we are also working on designing a new logo and, and, and changing a few things up and making this a little bit more of an official process. And so really excited for what's on the horizon. I do hope that you will subscribe to us on iTunes or, or whatever podcast feeder that you listen to. And please, if you do follow us on iTunes, leave a review, leave uh, and, and let people know what you think of this show. Share it with your friends or otherwise. I'm really excited to see how this community is growing and how we can affect the larger conversations that happen about these important topics. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.